Now, let's open our Bibles in Philippians 3, 7 to 11, and listen to what God has to say to us this morning. Our text today in Philippians 3, 7 to 11 teaches how Christ is more valuable than anything this world may offer and how knowing him is the best thing you can do with your life. So let's read out of Philippians 3, 7 to 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. I want to start today with a question. What do Leo Tolstoy and Freddie Mercury have in common? Tolstoy, of course, was the famous Russian author of War and Peace, and he, I didn't know this, but he was nominated apparently for uh, five Nobel Prizes, but didn't win any of them. Um, uh, Freddie Mercury, of course, was the flamboyant lead singer of the rock band Queen, and who wrote the well-known Bohemian Rhapsody. And what did they have in common? Well, in 1879, Tolstoy wrote a book called Confessions, uh, where he talked at length about his story and his search for purpose in life. At an early age, Tolstoy backed Christianity, the Christianity of his youth, and he embarked on a life of heavy drinking, uh, pr promiscuity, and gambling. He then shifted from that life to a life of responsibility, uh, trying to uh, achieve and make money, and yet he found he wasn't satisfied there either. So he shifted yet again and got married and had 13 children trying to find happiness in a family life. And, of course, then again, he still wasn't happy. So he studied philosophy and science looking for the answers and the intellectual answers and once again, it was another dead end to the question of what life was about. He was on a search for meaning and purpose. Similarly, Freddie Mercury uh, had the same life arc. He helped form the band Queen in 1971. He wrote the songs like, We Are the Champions, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. We also know that he lived a lifestyle that led to his sickness and to his death with AIDS. Like Tolstoy, Mercury also gave us hints of his search for purpose and meaning. The very last verses of Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, say, quote, nothing really matters. Anyone can see nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. And then in 1991, one of the very last songs he ever produced for public consumption in the Miracle album, he asked this very question, does anyone know what we're living for? Clearly, 
Tolstoy and Mercury had this one thing in common. They wanted to know what life was all about. They wanted to know the purpose of their story. Well, the Apostle Paul says something today in Philippians 3 about the purpose of story. When he reveals his answer, the biblical answer, to the question of what the purpose of life is about. He reveals in the process his heart and what really becomes a first-person story of his own experience with Christ and about his sense of purpose and end game for us as followers of Jesus. So that begs our question for the day. Amidst all the things that we do and purpose ourselves in, and we all do many things and purpose ourselves in, what's the big purpose of our story? What's the big end of our lives? What's the thing we don't want to miss as we live this life? Now, many in our world will offer some answers to those questions and to this purpose question. We all feel the pull of achievement in our time in career. Many of us feel the pull of developing financial security and wealth. Some of us even feel the pull of family and relationships. Others, it's the pursuit of a lifestyle, a way of leisure and of living. And then there's always the pull of the ever-elusive goal of happiness. But Paul has a short answer that he's already shared with us in this uh, chapter on what the very purpose, according to God, is. And it's very different than what I just named. For an entire book, he's been talking about having joy in Christ. In fact, he started this very chapter with a call to rejoice in the Lord. But he knows that there is a path to joy, and that path to joy is knowing God in Christ, in this life and indeed to the very next. Look at verse 7 with me. It says this, it says, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, here it is. Uh, Paul lays out the thing that matters most to him, the thing that's the, the focus in good times and in hard times, and it's knowing Christ. Did you notice how Paul even couches uh, this knowing of Christ uh, and this ultimate purpose in terms of loss and gain? He experienced uh, both very personally in his own life. He had experienced tremendous gains. I mean, Kurt last week shared how Paul was a Pharisee. He was heavily respected in the Jewish community in the first century, and uh, he had even uh, would be respected in um, non-Jewish circles for his place of influence and significance. Paul told us in verses 4 through 6 how much he had accomplished and achieved as a Pharisee. He was the consummate religious professional, and yet he says it's all loss. It's all loss. And surprisingly, he continues in our text and says, not only that, everything's a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Everything he had achieved in life, everything was a wash. I mean, he goes on in our text to call it rubbish, trash, or as some uh, uh, translations actually say, and I think it's pretty accurate, dung. I mean, it's part of the, the, the trash heap, if you will, compared to knowing Jesus. Now, I want you to stop for a second and think about this. 
if you've followed Christ for a long time, if you've even accomplished things and you're not a follower of Jesus, you keep all of these experiences and achievements in mind and when you think of all that you've done and the glorious experiences of life. And even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you have to admit that someone like Paul had quite the resume for his time. Not only did he, was he a Pharisee at one point, but after he became a Christian, he planted a bunch of churches. And those churches planted churches. And you know what happened after that? The Roman Empire changed within a few centuries after that. He had clearly done some great things. And yet, while we would call what he's done and achieved success on some level, Paul would say, compared to one thing, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, it's all, it doesn't matter. It's less than, than meaningful. See, knowing Jesus is the main thing. That's the purpose. And you got to understand, knowing Jesus is a personal and an experiential thing for Paul. It's not just knowing facts of theology. Now, fact, facts of theology do have an important role. We'll get to that in a second. But he says nothing compares to knowing Jesus personally. Not only that, he's saying it's so great to know Jesus personally, it's okay if I lose everything. And remember where Paul is when he's writing this. He's, with, he's in prison. He's basically lost all he has. He's lost his freedom, even his freedom of religion to preach. And he's at the edge of dying. The threat of death is in his life. He may even lose his life. So you've got to ask, why would he say this? Why would Paul talk about uh, knowing Christ is the greatest gain, of, it's of surpassing worth compared to everything else that I've experienced in life? Why would he say it? Why would he be willing to lose everything to know Jesus? Well, there are at least two reasons that Paul would say such a radical thing. First, I bet Paul had in mind what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. What does Jesus say in Mark chapter 8? He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And then Jesus says this to give incentive to that pursuit. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. And here it is. You ready for this? Thinking gain and loss. He says this, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Paul is banking on Christ's promise that losing is winning in the kingdom. Losing is gaining salvation in Christ alone. There is a second reason that's in our text over why this is so great. Over the rest of our passage, Paul gives six purposes or intended results of knowing Christ as ultimate gain. Paul tells us the first gainful purpose when he says that he has lost all things to gain Christ. Did you notice that? To gain Christ himself. Now, what does he mean? Well, gaining Christ is that relational connection we have with God, that uh, where all the other things of this world pass by and their significance and even their glory in some cases compared to the beauty and glories of knowing Jesus himself. You get a hint of this in Genesis 15, when Abraham really was hoping to get a child, because God had promised that he, would, uh, he and Sarah would have a child, and yet he waited and waited and waited, just years and years and years. And finally, one day, he says, God, 
Hey, what's up? Are you ever going to provide a child for me? I'm sitting here waiting. And here's what God says. God says he'll come through on his promise. But he also says this, Abraham, I am your very great reward. I am your very great reward. And the Psalms echo this language. It says when God, it says that God is our portion in life. The implication is that we're to be satisfied in God alone, as we have actually just sung in our songs today. That there is nothing greater than our connection with the one true God in Christ than anything else we can have. How does this apply to us now? Well, in verse 8, Paul says, Christ Jesus is my Lord. Did you see that? Christ Jesus is my Lord. Now, why does that matter? Here's why that matters. There's nowhere else in the New Testament in all 13 letters of Paul where he says this. This is where he makes his connection with Christ personal and experiential in his own life. In the proliferation of Christian information and knowledge, even books today, sermons like this, it's easy to study about Jesus but not know him. Scripture says, Know the Lord, meaning know him personally, engage him experientially. Now, there's another application that comes up with this in our lives today, and that's around loss. I want to talk about loss for a second, because Paul is at length talking about loss versus the gain of Christ here. Many of us are nervous about losing the vestiges of cultural Christianity in American culture, a fair concern. We have watched the world change and shift a lot in the last 50 years. And in the last 10, I think some of us say it's definitely sped up. you got to understand that life, even culture, is full of gains and losses historically for the church and for God's people. But there is one gain you cannot take away, and that is Jesus himself. Christ and his kingdom cannot be taken away. Moreover, Some of us here walk in with personal losses in our lives. Some of us regret, live in regret about some losses in our life because of failures. Some of us have losses we've encountered in our careers. Some have losses in our lives around family or death. Or even because of our Christianity, we don't have something that we wish we had. But here's the thing. Each loss is meant to accentuate Christ as our gain as followers of Jesus. Have you lost a sense of security? Christ is your eternal security. Have you lost a sense of belonging? Christ is your eternal belonging. Just in the last few weeks, I've been grinding pretty hard at work. you got to know that. And we had General Assembly this week that didn't help. And I kept going back to the gospel that while I didn't have the energy, Jesus does. While I don't have the power, Jesus does. Jesus is the worker. He is the sovereign rest that we need. If you've lost something in your life, don't miss the purpose of who you have gained in that loss. That's what Paul's getting at in this text So, Paul's laid out one gainful purpose in life. In verse 9, he then turns to Christ 
And, uh, and what our ult- another gainful purpose is in verse 9, look at that with me in verse 9. Here's a second gainful purpose. He says this. He says, uh, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that, there's the purpose language, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the second intended result or purpose of living for Christ. And what Paul says is that he wants to be found in Christ. Now, he's talking about being found by whom? God. He wants to be found by God, and specifically, he wants to be found at the end of his life in the judgment. Now, what does Paul want to be found with when he's found by God? Well, Paul's second purpose gets at the key starting point for a life in Christ in verse 8 and 9. He talks about justification. Now, justification is what we do when we try to handle our own guilt or innocence in something. I mean, and everyone here does it. All of us do. For example, don't we tend to make excuses for our words and actions? Well, if you knew how, thing, how hard things were for me. Sometimes we compare ourselves to others. Well, I may do some bad things, but I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Perhaps our most common way to justify ourselves in this day is virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is where we make known what cool things we've done, we demonstrate our fine character, or let people know how we have a correct ethic in life. The old word for virtue signaling is self-righteousness. It's where we try and right our relationship with God or even with others by our own efforts. This past week, Josh and I were at General Assembly and uh, attended that, and uh, it's always good to do the business of church, especially see old friends, and we had a really good and unifying assembly. We'll tell you more about that in the next week. There was a seminary event, an RTS Charlotte seminary event, where we got together all the graduates and all the people, and uh, I, I attended that, and I was a part-time professor, so when the host went around the, the room introducing key staff, he accidentally overlooked me and didn't mention me. He later apologized. He, he was really good about that. But I have to say, when he didn't mention me, I wanted to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Don't you know who I am and what I've done for the seminary? There it was. The virtue signaling was rising up with inside of me. I could feel that tug to write myself and let everybody know, hey, I'm here. That's right. But here's the gospel. According to this text, my righteousness is not my titles or, my, or even my achievements. My righteousness is always in Christ. That's exactly what Paul is getting at. He doesn't want to be found with a different kind of righteousness based in himself. He wants to be found with a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Justification by faith alone is what we call this. Now, for those who don't understand what justification is in the Christian realm, it's an act in the courtroom of God where God pronounces us not guilty through Christ's life and his death 
so that our justification is just as if we'd never sinned, and sometimes we forget this part, and have lived an absolutely holy life before God. The Bible says when we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, God takes, if you will, our sin, imagine this is our sin, and puts it on Christ at the cross. And he takes Christ's righteousness, his perfect life, and puts that on us so that when he sees us, he sees us as not only as fully forgiven, but as righteous in his eyes. Paul's life had been one of incredible religious achievement but he didn't want God to base he wanted God to base an eternal relationship on that because it wasn't perfect. It wasn't freedom and bondage. You know, and on this July 4th, I have to say that the result of Christ's righteousness covering us in his life and death is this freedom. Not just political or or uh, religious or cultural freedom but freedom at the place that it really matters the most, at our hearts. Relying on Christ's work and not our, our own is, gets us freedom with God. That's the end game of what this kind of life and justification is. So how do we respond to this, this idea of, of a justification? Well, every religious system in the world Except Christianity says this, you must perform for God, for God to like you or be in relationship with you. But Christianity says God initiates relationship with us. He wants to know us first, and we receive Christ by faith. He maintains that relationship into eternity because Christ's righteousness and atoning death covers for us. Christ is imputed to us. Because of that, Christians not only repent of our evil works, but this is the radical difference of Christianity. We repent of our good works and our reliance on those good works. We don't need them before God. All the good you've even done for Jesus, you are not required to hold on to because Jesus covers us all the way. Have you called on Christ as your Lord and Savior have you repented not only of your evil works, but the so-called good works that are in the end filthy rags before God? Stop trusting in yourself and rest on Him alone. Knowing Christ with this righteousness by faith changes you. I mean, Leo Tolstoy found out after trying all the things in his life that he did, both good and not so good, he found the answer in Christ. Leo Tolstoy became a Christian. And he experienced the Christ who satisfies at the heart. So, Paul has told us that amidst losses there is purpose. We gain Christ and that gain begins at our justification. But Paul's not done yet. He lays out what a life in Christ can look like even when we seem to lose things in this world. Look at verse 10 with me at what he says. Paul says this, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Back in verse 8, Paul says that knowing Christ has surpassing worth. The logical question then is, 
what is following in Christ in this life really worth uh, here, now, and into the next life? Well, in light of loss, Paul tells us what we gain. He tells us the last four intended results, purposes in daily living of sanctification in these verses. And in verse 10, he tells us that this third purpose is that he may gain Christ and be found that he may know him. I want to know Christ, that I may know Christ. Now, at this point, you think, wait a minute, he's already talked about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Why would he even bring that up again? What's the big deal? Well, here it is, because as you follow Jesus, in all kinds of circumstances, you will encounter him in new ways and know him in new ways. You'll know him more and more in your story and in his story. In an article of Time magazine, one author describes the change that has occurred in knowledge in our time. He says, the search for knowledge used to be like looking in the table of contents in a book where you looked for important sections or even the larger outline of the story or an argument. Now the search for knowledge is like looking in the index, the back of the book, for basic facts. We no longer search for the larger and personal story of what God is doing in our lives. We just look for the facts of life. We look at the, at the trees, not the forest. Don't miss that God wants you to experience Him in your story, not just know facts about Him. When you do your work, Jesus wants you to know Him in the middle of that work because He is the ultimate worker and the Lord of work. He wants to teach you how to use power, your strength, your gifts and abilities well to love. When you're a student at school, Jesus wants to be with you in your learning because he's the great teacher. He is all wisdom and wants you to learn how to use wisdom for him. When you're being entertained, he wants you to experience him in some kind of joy that you experience. And that joy is merely a touch of the joy that you can have in him and with him. Whenever you serve the hurting in community or family, God wants to show you his mercy so you can realize that he's just as merciful with you. You see, serving the Lord in everyday life is meant to be an experience of him in your story and in his story as those stories come together. That's the thing you and I don't want to miss in everyday living. Paul brings up that fourth purpose after this. He says he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Here he's talking about the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit to both change us and empower us to love in ways that we've never loved. When we seek to grow and even serve the Lord in obedience, we actually get to know him better. That's the feedback loop that we don't realize whenever we're following Jesus. When you obey him, you get to taste him and know him more. That's the idea of, of obedience. In fact, C.S. Lewis says that knowing God means we know to obey him. When we obey him, we realize that God is immeasurably superior to us. In the power of the resurrection at work in us and service and in growth, 
we realize we're nothing in comparison to God himself. That's the thing that's so challenging about following God and serving him in any way is you realize he's way bigger than you realized in the process of that. Paul adds a fifth intended result in verse 10 of our text when he says that he wants to share in the sufferings of Christ, becoming like him or being conformed to Christ's death. Now, Paul, of course, was facing a similar life of Jesus at this point in this letter. He was in jail facing death just like Jesus had faced death himself, even to death on the cross. And he did that all for preaching the gospel. Nevertheless, the principle is the same for us. As Christians, we experience a life of struggle and of conflict sometimes. But you've got to understand, that's the road to growth. That's the road to growth. That's what Jesus calls us to. Remember, Philippians 2, Jesus' life was that of humiliation and exaltation. The wonder is that we, do, we don't suffer alone in that humiliation and exaltation. Christ is with us. Christ is in us. Finally, Paul ends with a sixth purpose and the intended result in verse 11. He tells us that he will somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul ends on this vision that one day we will all be raised up from the dead because all of us will face death. And no doubt this last year, death became a companion of us here in our culture and even around the world with so much of COVID taking life. But there is a greater vision than just you, your life ends and you die. The greater vision is that one day Jesus will return and he will resurrect our bodies and reunite them with our souls so that we can be with him in a resurrected world, a resurrected earth, and in the presence of our resurrected king. We'll talk more about this next week. But this is the ultimate end that we enjoy, glorification. Glorification where we are glorified with Christ in his presence as an ultimate end game. So Paul has laid out these six purposes for us, but don't miss. They all point to the one purpose that we began with in the whole sermon, knowing Christ all the way through by faith. There's no surprise there. Jesus himself said this in John 17. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, the very pinnacle of human existence, is knowing Christ. That is worth building your life on. The story goes that one day a foreman came up to a builder working on a building, and the foreman asked the builder what he was doing. And the builder said, I'm breaking rocks. Then he went to another builder working on the building. And the, builder, uh, the foreman asked that builder, what are you doing? And the builder said, I'm making money for my family. Then he went to finally one builder and asked him, what are you doing? What are you doing in your building? And the builder said this, I'm building a cathedral. What's your purpose? Know Christ and watch what he does with your life.
building cathedrals. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, at this time, we all just come to you, and knowing you is often difficult with so many distractions in this world, so much busyness. I myself have been guilty of that, Lord, and yet all of us to some degree come today knowing you and feeling disconnected from you. We pray that you would draw our hearts, Lord, that we might know you in an intimate way, in an experiential way, a personal way, by faith, no longer trusting, Lord, on our own efforts, but enjoying the free grace that you offer. We want to know you, Lord, and the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Connect our hearts again, Lord, and hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.